I'm Jay Mac. And I'm Jess. And you're listening to Base Code Podcast. All right. All right. Back for another week. Reasonable returns. So tell me about the title. What does it mean? Yeah, it was it was a bit of a play on it being um I've I've done investing almost as long as I've done programming. And so it's just something that I'm interested in, I'm passionate about. And so this chapter, you know, I just kind of started like crossing over with some uh, like financial terms. So, you know, I'm talking about return values, of course, which we'll get into. But I just thought it was fun to be like reasonable returns and like the value that's being returned. Of course, value also being kind of this financial concept, but also the fact that like that value is an investment for like the rest of the code. You know, it's going to use that as an investment. So. Uh, you know, I just, I don't know. I thought it was, I thought it was interesting. The other thing too, and, and, you know, I may be jumping the gun here a little bit, but like reasonable returns at its core is really talking about combating null and the creator of null, or I guess the person who, you know, implemented null or whatever has called it their billion dollar mistake. So yet again, another, you know, kind of financial, uh, implication of null, but you know, so there's just, there's all sorts of things kind of tied around that. So I thought, you know, Thought it was fun. Reasonable returns. Yeah, I get it. I didn't get it when I uh, when I read it, but now I get it, so that's good. Yeah, every now and then I'll have a name that I think's um, funny or whatever, and it like just it's too inside or it's too cerebral, and this was probably one of them. But whatever, I liked it, and it was it was my book. Yeah, I like the title. I just didn't really I didn't see the parallel with the financial stuff. I made this package the other day for some testing traits. And a lot of the times in Laravel, uh, when you add these things underneath the covers, technically they're added as macros, right? So things are like macroable. Yep. It's like with faker or with whatever to decorate a class with this trait. And I thought it would be funny to call it with J macros. <laughs> and uh, fortunately, Adam Wadden talked me out of that one. But Oh, no. At first, I was like, oh, this would be funny. This is great. Well, at least we got to enjoy it here. Yeah. So anyways, another example of, of something that I thought was funny to name. And yeah, it might have been good for an initial laugh, but long term, like it just didn't make any sense. Yeah, fair enough. So we should talk about why null is a billion dollar mistake then. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Why do you think null is a billion dollar mistake? Well, this is actually one of the topics that I hadn't really kind of encountered until much, much later in my career. So... It's kind of something that I'm still even now trying to get my head around. Like I, I get the idea and I definitely get it when it comes to things like, um, you know, like primitives. The idea being that instead of returning null in a circumstance, you return an empty representation of whatever you would normally return. So if you would normally return a string, you might return an empty string instead of null. Or if you're returning a number, you might return zero instead of null. So I guess it's probably a good idea to talk about why that's a good thing. Sure. And I can kind of explain why I, like my understanding of it, and you can tell me if that gels with your understanding. Sure. Go for it. What it comes down to, I think, is having to um, handle null and having to do a, you know, if is null, do this scenario, otherwise do the real good scenario. 
So when you don't return null, when you return an empty representation of whatever it is you'd normally return, you don't necessarily have to handle that specially. So I guess a good example might be with, with a number. If you've got a method that would normally return a number and you're returning zero for the null case and you're doing, say, addition, for example, you can add zero onto that with no problems. So you remove the need for doing some type checking. Yeah. But I guess where I, I still find there's scenarios where that could still be problematic. Um, I don't know if you want to get into those now, but I have some kind of things in my head that I'm like, what about this? What about this? Sure. Well, let's hold on to those for just a sec, because I think I at least had fun with kind of the ending of questions last time. So let's let's put those on the shelf for just a second. And let me just kind of recap what you said to also share kind of, I guess, my thoughts on the billion dollar mistake, which of course are aligned with yours. And we'll link to this article in the show notes of exactly why they called it the billion dollar mistake. But my take on it too, though, is is just that to your point, null is kind of an issue for two reasons. One, you have to handle null to your point, you know, kind of higher up in the system. So if you have a really, really low level method and it returns null, then potentially at every layer above that call, all the way back to kind of your top layer, you're going to have to have some kind of if check to handle that null properly. So not only is there cost in writing all of that code, but of course, if you miss one spot, well, now you have the cost of a bug. Now you have a cost of the system not behaving the way it was designed and causing real world issues, right? Like no pointer exceptions, uh, you know, and your video screens that, uh, you know, show a, a stack dump instead of your advertisement. Oh, like on a public billboard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so of course, that's, that's kind of the essence of all the way down to the low level programmer's responsibility, but then all the way up to kind of the commercial use of whatever, you know, was being programmed. So a lot of the times there is a more reasonable return. And it's pretty easy to find what does the method do and what kind of value does it return in its primary path? You know, we talked about earlier in some episodes, but like, what is the happy path return value? Like its base type, is it an integer? Is it an object? What is it? And is there a way to return an empty representation of that instead of just null? Because that's the other thing. I think a lot of times developers reach to null and like in the real world, null is a very interesting concept like try explaining like null to your parents like it makes no sense like only developers know what it is and in a way i think there's some interesting psychology there it's like because we know what null is like we want to use it because it's like the absence of a value but it's like it's still a value like you know kind of in the real world it's still this thing you have to account for in fact it's more problematic than a regular value so you know if you have a, a sum method like and something goes awry, maybe your application can just return zero. Like maybe it's not a big deal, right? If you have something that's supposed to return a set, well, maybe you can return an empty set when, you know, it doesn't uh, behave correctly or, you know, it's kind of outside the norm. And then the things above it that expect an integer or expect a set to be returned can now just kind of play on and you don't have to write all this extra code, which of course reduces the noise and the complexity and therefore improves the readability. Yeah, like even returning an empty array, if you're immediately going to iterate over the array and it's an array of nothing, then the loop doesn't happen, but you don't need to wrap the loop and end up with these extra levels of indentation. 
Exactly. Yeah, you, you get rid of nested code, which we talked about before. Again, perceived complexity, you know, its visual representation is less because of the indentation levels and whatnot. And simply the fact that, to your point, yeah, you don't have, okay, if this thing returned null, then don't even do the loop to go do something else. You have, you have all these, you know, breakpoints in your code and, and logical branches that just, you know, again, add to the complexity. So, you know, oftentimes there's ways to return an empty value instead of returning null like an empty value of that data type of an integer, you know, zero of a string, an empty string of an array, an empty array, and possibly even empty object, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Yeah, objects, I think, are where it gets really interesting. I guess the idea being that um, there's, a, there's a classic example where if you have a, some code that would normally return, say, a user object, but if you're not logged in, then traditionally maybe it might return null and so then if you're going to use that to say oh you know welcome you know user first name user last name or user full name then that code's going to fail because you're going to be accessing a property on a null instead of an object sure so you would return an object that would be like a guest object that has the same kind of signature as the user object in that you can still return full name, but instead of returning user's first name and last name, it might just return the word guest, or it might even just return an empty string. It might return nothing, but you can then have your welcome message handle both scenarios without having to have any if conditions whatsoever. It's just welcome user full name, and that's that. Yeah. So where I get a bit confused with that, though, is like when you have things like dates and date objects. Sure. Because what is the the null representation of a date? Yeah, and I think that's fair. Like, you know, when it comes to something like null, I, I would like to think kind of its, its initial inception or its initial idea for using null would be more of something that return in the absence of an object, not necessarily in the absence of an integer value, right? So nulls seem to pair a bit more with you know, object-oriented programming, and as such, I think it's a little harder to figure out what kind of the quote-unquote empty representation of that particular value is of that particular object. But I think if you push, you can come up with something that's a little bit of a cross between a mock object, you know, and the null object itself. So the null object, of course, you know, if this is a pattern that you follow or, or is possibly even, you know, kind of a, a first-class pattern, if you will, in your language, so I know, for example, Objective-C does this. I think Ruby does this as well. But if you were to call a method on null or nil in those languages, it just gives you back nil. It doesn't blow up. So, you know, they handle nulls a little bit more gracefully in those kind of languages. So, you know, if your language already does that, then this probably isn't so much of an issue. But when your language doesn't do that, now you kind of have this challenge of either replicating that behavior in some way, which I know... Some frameworks do this in PHP, for example. Or you have to make your own object to kind of be a stand-in. To your point, if a user's not logged in, well, we return a guest user. And it has some kind of predefined dummy values. But it represents that empty state, right? That empty guest state to allow the system to play on. You know, it's a trade-off, right? Yeah. And like I, I kind of worry as well that, say you are returning a, a guest object... If you're not careful and your check is, do I have, you know, like, is the user logged in? 
and you're just saying, is there an object there that the guest one will actually fulfill that and basically act as if you are logged in? Sure, sure. These aren't just like immediate drop-ins. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's definitely a coding shift, which is kind of the whole point. Like, if you think more about returning things reasonably, you'll find that you never really end up writing the code saying, oh, is this thing a type of object or is this thing not null? You don't really end up writing those things. You allow the code to kind of just play on in a, in a bit more of like a declarative way. Yeah, and then you might have a method that is, you know, is authenticated user or is authenticated, I guess, on the user object. Exactly. And use that as your check. So. Yeah, and it would be smart enough to know I'm a real user or I'm not, whatever that might mean. But there's one spot and you're not necessarily passing around this kind of poor state. A majority of the code can kind of just play on as I've you know, been saying. Yeah. So it's not really, yeah, like you say, it's not a, a drop-in replacement. You can't just go, oh, this is a great pattern, swap everything out and kind of think that you're done. So I think that's important to keep in mind. For sure. Yeah. It's definitely something that, you know, if you start doing it at the low level of your code, you need to kind of find all the invocations of that particular method and then kind of review them, right? And, you know, this can be just a big refactor, right? Like it can be an opportunity to clean up code and, and then you're basically forcing a set of code, these if null checks, for example, to suddenly become dead code and then you can remove them. Yeah. And, you know, all these, we start to see how all these practices kind of start to play together with each other nicely. So back to your question though, as far as a date, you know, that may be something where you still need to return null or maybe you return a stand-in object for null. That way, if you call format or whatever on this particular date, it just gives you an empty string, right? So again, the point is either returning a direct primitive or scalar empty value or returning a stand-in object of some kind that gives you, again, reasonable empty values when it's used or invoked in some kind of way. But yeah, every now and then it's just going to be null. Yeah, even with like the the primitive example, I still think of scenarios where like by returning say zero, you're kind of it's almost like your your method is authoritatively saying the answer was zero as opposed to well we didn't have an answer for this scenario. But I guess if it does if it's not important whether or not you need to know the difference between an actual zero or the absence of any answer then it's not a problem. Yeah, I think that plays nicely into an error state point. So to your point, you have to decide how the code should behave, right? I mean, as the programmers, we're the ultimate architects of, of what it means when, you know, this particular method doesn't behave within its boundaries, right? What do we want to do? Is it acceptable to return zero? Is it is it going to be catastrophic if it does? I feel like in those scenarios, even null is not the right representation though, right? Maybe an exception should be thrown, right? So we're starting to get it into a different place. So while I think it's a good point, we have to remember that swapping zero for null is still swapping a value for another value. You know, once we start getting into, well, should we really return zero? Well, you were returning null before. So like, you know, <laughs> you were yeah. basically treating null as a not necessarily an empty value, but a bad value. And that's different, right? So yeah. that's where the miscommunication happens. And that's where the lack of readability and the complexity gets introduced and why you know it leads to that billion dollar mistake. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think for things like strings, 
it's it's really easy to just return an empty string. And in some languages, even that helps you, you know, like if you want to call, you know, dot length in JavaScript, you can call that on an empty string. But if you try and call it on a null, I'm pretty sure it's going to have an error. And, you know, to be fair, it's not just null. Like there are other, you know, magic numbers that are returned. So, you know, you mentioned JavaScript. Like when you call JavaScript index of on a string and it doesn't find, you know, that substring within the string, it returns negative one. Like, what is that? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and, you know, we all accept this, right? We accept this in languages that, that do such things, that have this type of behavior. And we kind of commit those to memory as being these representative values. But there's better ways to say that. So another thing about reasonable returns is that maybe there's a way to return something else that can communicate just a little bit better about what's going on. So I'm going to reach to Objective-C again because, again, they just have these, you know, wonderfully verbose clear names, but they have a string method, similar method, called range of string, and it's basically index of, like JavaScript. But instead of returning a negative one when it's not found, they basically return an enum of ns not found. And it's just this, you know, global constant, if you will, to demonstrate, hey, this thing wasn't found. And you can still call, like, dot length and dot these other things on this not found object. But the point is, is that it, it makes for a clear comparison when you do finally go back and look at it. Because, you know, think of index of in JavaScript. How many different ways are we writing that code as, you know, developers? Like, there's no uniform way. And I'm not saying there has to be, but some people might say not equals to negative one. Others might say, is it less than zero? Like, yep. there's so many different ways as readers of that code that we have to go look at. So again, we just start to see how something so simple as changing the way something's returned really has these, you know, explosive effects on the code around it. You know, whether you're having to write more code to check it, whether you're having to limit the way your code can be expressive. So... There's more things than just null. I mean, even something like negative one can be a little nasty. So even if you just go around and make constants for these things or, or little enums that allow you to say, hey, this, this sum could not be calculated or something, some kind of representation. But again, it's a balancing act. It's a trade-off. Well, once you start doing that, does it make sense just to throw custom exception classes? I don't know. You have to decide for your code. But in my opinion, anything's better than null. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cool. I had another one around, and this is just something that's this been buzzing in my head for a while. I have this concept, for whatever reason, I call a trillion, which is true, false, or none of the above. Sure. Where I would use null. Um, and it's one of those things that I use in these cases where I don't want to authoritatively say false, you know, because that's kind of saying something different than saying something hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's generally what it comes down to is if something hasn't happened yet, I need to know that's different from if something has happened and is true or has happened and is false. Yeah. And that's another one where I reach to to null in in these in these these trillions, you know, which is kind of what I just uh, instead of saying boolean being two, I say trillion equal three. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like it. I like it to the point of you know making funny words and puns. I, I think it. Uh, I get it. But yeah, it's one of those things, um, I've done that before. I've definitely seen where you can leverage null to kind of represent a little bit of an extra state somewhere along the lines, you know, like, yep. it's kind of like, oh, I kind of just need to know, 
oh my gosh, I could just leave it null and that'll represent that state. And I think that that's fair. And I think in the moment it feels like a fun little trick, but it is a trick nonetheless. So you just got to be careful that you're communicating that somehow, right? Because if it got left null beyond that kind of initial state check that's happening, well, is it going to lead to like this program, you know, crash and, and you're part of the billion dollar mistake? Or is it, you know, something that gets handled kind of in a very isolated scope? And, and so yeah. again, it's just a trade-off. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's, that's the case with a lot of things in programming. There's always a trade-off. Of course. I've definitely done that before. I mean, I remember pairing with someone and we were in that scenario and I said something along the lines, well, we actually have three states with any variable. We kind of have the, the true, the false, but also the empty. And, you know, we leveraged it. And you can do it with all sorts of things. You can do it with date fields in a database. You know, it's either, you know, set or not set. And when it's not set, that might represent something. So, and that's the point. You just have to make sure that they're expressive. Again, there's nothing wrong with null. There's nothing wrong with negative one. It's really just, are we expressing that in a way that communicates correctly how that's making the code behave? Because when we're not, then we see where that leads, right? Yeah, I agree. And I think that's that's probably is the key is to just is is to yeah, to put readability at the front again and think about what this is conveying to to future readers and kind of letting that guide you. Right on. Well, I don't think I have anything else particularly. I mean, just as a quick recap, I mean, you know, the whole goal here is to try to avoid null, uh, especially in scenarios where you have a primary code path that's returning definitely a, a primitive data type. You know, there's there's probably an alternative form that you can do there. Um, if you do need to return something a, a bit more quote-unquote magical, consider maybe making some kind of class constant or some kind of global constant that maybe communicates just a little bit better about what that actually means. And if it needs to be more serious than that, then consider looking towards exceptions. And it's going to communicate more that this is a real problem in the system than null does, right? Null's just giving us nothing. It doesn't help us at all. There needs to be other ways to communicate that. So again, reasonable returns. Sounds good to me. Cool. So we are getting almost to the end here. Just two more episodes after this. Yeah. So the next one is yet another one where it's it's come it's a recent one to me, um, which is Rule of Three. I'm really looking forward to talking about this one. Good. Good. Well, Rule of Three is definitely borrowed from Beck and a little bit of Fowler. So we'll get into that next time, though. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, I will see you. See ya. Show notes for this episode can be found at basecodefieldguide.com slash eight.